Well, there's a decent amount of noise about the Pac-12 right now, and I'm not really worried about it because it doesn't change anything. But it does show why the Pac-12 needs to get this thing done. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So. A lot of news, a lot of comments, a lot of pieces, a lot of mumbo-jumbo flying around out there. I'll start with the comments of former Pac-12 football head coaches who, last I checked, have not been in the league for um, many, many years. But, you know, it's not as if their opinion is irrelevant. But there was uh, a piece that came from Dennis Dodd who had some quotes from three former Pac-12 football coaches, all of them rather notable. Rich Rodriguez had a great run at Arizona, got them to a Pac-12 title game, the only one they've appeared in, by the way. Dennis Erickson at Arizona State and Mike Bellotti from Oregon. They all had varying quotes expressing concern about where the Pac-12 is. They go as follows. Rich Rodriguez, what's to stop Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten? Dennis Erickson was worried about visibility because, you know, well, it's easier to find them on a traditional channel. Mike Bellotti. I have that impending sense of doom, he said. I can just see the Pac-12 falling apart. All right. None of those quotes, first of all. This is why the Pac-12 needs to hurry up and get this thing done on the one hand. But on the other hand, you also want to get it right. But this is the problem that the Pac-12 is going to consistently run into if they don't get a deal done in a timely manner. You're going to allow people to make comments like these that are hurting the perception of your conference, but not actually changing the reality. Those coaches can say anything they want about how concerned they are about the Pac-12 and what could happen in the future and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't change one single solitary thing about the Pac-12's ability to land the deal. It, it does not change the negotiations. Do you think the people that are in the negotiating rooms are even aware of these comments? They might be at this point in time, but do you think that the comments of three former football coaches in the conference who are definitely of an older generation are going to weigh heavily on George Klyovkov's mind? You think that they're going to weigh heavily on the minds of network executives? I'm going to go with no. They may not even be aware of said comments. That That's what I would lean towards. But, you know, the, these quotes and the interviews and everything were, were flying around and such. And it, a couple things on, on both of them. Mike Bellotti's, I'll start with his. I have that impending sense of doom. That's something that's just lingering on people's minds because there's no deal right now. But again, that, that that's not, if the Pac-12 were going to implode, If other conferences were going to hit the league even harder, so much, and really come for the teams that would have sunk the league entirely and made them not viable going forward, 
I have contended, I will continue to believe it would have happened already. If the Big Ten, and this is a nice transition into Rich Rod's comments, well, what's to stop Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten? The Big Ten has made it very clear that at this point in time, they're not going to expand further right now. Five, six, seven, 10, 15 years from now, that might not be the case. But Kevin Warren was the commissioner of the Big Ten, left after three years. Three years. And he's the one who was at the helm orchestrating the move to get USC and UCLA on board to their conference. So given that that was his mentality, if he really wanted to go for the kill shot and just completely submarine and undermine the Pac-12 even more than he did with the USC and UCLA additions, why would he have stopped? Why? The answer, I think, it's speculative on my part, sure. The answer, I think, is because the Big Ten presidents are fine with where they're at. And they don't need more expense. Like, they don't need more teams. USC and UCLA bring something in a major way to the table, athletically and academically, that make the Big Ten an even stronger conference. Any other teams the Big Ten could add right now are not in the same category in terms of being the level of quality additions that USC and UCLA were. They are not there. Oregon's not, Washington's not, Cal is not, Stanford is not. Cal and Stanford have got the academics. They don't have the athletics. Oregon and Washington have got the football, but they don't have all the other athletics. I don't know how much that factors in, but let's say football is the biggest consideration. Oregon and Washington have got the athletics, but Oregon kind of lacks the sort of academic caliber. They're an AAU school, but they are not the sort of research institution that the Big Ten has got almost across the board. And they certainly are a solid step below Washington, and Washington is a solid step below UCLA and USC. They, they're not on equal footing here. And if the Big Ten had really wanted to go after them, if the Big Ten really wanted Oregon and Washington or any others, I don't know if Stanford and Cal would have left, but Oregon and Washington, I feel pretty confident about saying they would have gone. But that offer never came. And this whole notion that it's just, you know, well, Oregon and Washington are going to go to the Big Ten. That has to be a two-way door. It is not Oregon and Washington decide to go to the Big Ten and get to go whatever conference they want to. They have to be wanted. And I'll, I'll just... I'll get to Dennis Erickson's comments in, uh, or the, the quote I read from him or thing I talked about, whatever, for in, in a moment. But there was this piece going around from Matt Hayes from Saturdays Out West who said, quote, sources are saying the Big Ten is still interested in four PAC schools, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal. Now, back in July, August, when all this stuff was brand new and it was fresh, there was another report that the Big Ten, or there was a report at that time, the Big Ten was looking at those schools. And you know what they determined? That it was not viable financially. They would not be full media rights earning members. And they did not view it as a worthwhile move to pursue. So let me ask you this. 
if you believe that notion that the Big Ten would come after those four schools, if they didn't think it was worth it in July, what has changed between now and then that completely shifts the calculus financially? I, I don't see it. I really, really don't. Yeah, the Pac-12 feels like it's in a weaker spot. It's actually in the exact same spot, but it feels like it's in a weaker spot because quotes like these are going around and the perception of the league is really down, which is why the league needs to get the deal done and why I'd like them to get the deal done so that we can stop asking these sorts of questions like, well, what if the Big Ten comes for these schools? They had every opportunity to. Well, what about the what about Arizona, Colorado, and Arizona State, Utah to the Big 12? They had every opportunity to go. Their grant of rights expires next year. The Big 12 was negotiating a new deal. They ended up extending the one that they had, and here they are still in the pack. Yeah, just so so much stuff. Like it drives me nuts on the one hand. It, it does, but that's why I'm, I'm ready for the deal to get done so that we can move past this sort of stuff. Uh, Dennis Erickson's quote about visibility. Yeah, we. I got a couple of thoughts there. One of those thoughts is that FanDuel is excellent because it's the number one sports book in America. At this point in the NBA season and with March Madness right around the corner and kind of already underway because college basketball rocks forever and always, it's the perfect time to dan- download FanDuel. You can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if the first bet doesn't win. Go to fanduel.com slash locked on to get that no sweat first bet. Fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. You can also combine your bets there for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. They got everything you need. NBA, college basketball, and beyond. Make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right. So this comment from Dennis Erickson, who's a very well-respected and was a very successful head coach in the Pac-12, most recently at Arizona State. He also most recently coached, I believe it was sometime in the early 2010s. It's been, it's been a minute here, but he was worried about visibility. Because he said, well, you know, you're not going to have the games on at bars and it's easier to find them on a traditional channel when when you're on linear cable. Okay, if you hear that and you're concerned about the optics that are coming out of the entire situation for the Pac-12 right now, I counter your concern there with Dennis Erickson is like in his mid to late 70s and can't get to content as easily as everybody else. I, I mean, like, like th- th- this is why more than anything, I want the deal to just get done so that we can stop having to address comments like these, hear comments like these. And if you're the Pac-12, this is the downside, is the perception of your league is just taking a bunch of body blows from a lot of people across the country. 
I mean, these are not small talking figureheads here. These are former Pac-12 coaches talking to a legitimate reporter and Dennis Dodd. This is not, you know, Mike's podcast that's got 200 followers across the country that I'm using to just, you know, generate content here on the show. Like these are, this is how people are viewing the league and you don't want this to go on. And the irony of all of this is we don't know when the deal is getting done. Now, Dennis Dodd also reported in the San Jose Mercury News that the deadline might go, not deadline, but kind of the the timeline could go all the way to April 1st. I might rip my hair out if this thing goes all the way to April 1st. I will always be here to answer your questions at any point in time, and I will discuss it as long as it is relevant in the news. But I would like to move on at some point in time. And if you're the Pac-12, you have to want to move on at some point in time. But More important than that, I would rather wait three more weeks to see the deal, which would be crazy, but I'd rather wait three more weeks to see it and have it be a better deal than get it next week and have it be not as strong of a deal, right? Like that's what matters most here at the end of the day. But that's why the pressure in the national media landscape is ramping up for the Pac-12 because now everyone it is just is it's just a cycle. It's a cycle here. Pac-12 won't get this. Pac-12 won't get that. This entity's not involved. That entity's not involved. They won't do like the more you let people speculate, it's the off season, right? College basketball is right around the corner. It's not as big as football, and that's what everyone is concerned about right now. So, I, I just would like to see them uh, finally finally get the deal done. But I will reiterate again, I am not worried about more schools leaving the pack. Because I think whether you're talking about the Big 12 or talking about the Big 10, if they'd wanted to, either the schools or the conferences, it would have happened already. They had every opportunity to do it, but they did not. Uh, Also on the expansion front, just, I tweeted this out yesterday. I thought it was interesting. Thought it was kind of noteworthy. Hence why I'm about to share it on the show before I get to a mailbag question. San Diego State tweeted out their football account, tweeted out a picture of their field and a bunch of you know graphics and logos to, to publicize their spring game in March. You know what was notably absent from all the writing and the graphics in, in that particular tweet? The Mountain West logo. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not reporting anything. I'm not predicting anything, though I've been predicting it for a while. But I'm just saying, I am I am just saying. I saw it and went, hmm. Hmm. I wonder. Anyway, would love to add San Diego State. All right, question here from Michael Beckley. Now, you can ask a question as well. YouTube comments, even about realignment. I'll still answer it, even though you know I'm kind of tired of it. But... Uh, YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore PAC 12. Also good time to let you know, I will not be doing shows for the first four days of next week. Really hoping the media deal actually comes after that so that I don't have to do an emergency podcast while I'm on vacation. I can if necessary, but it also be kind of hard because I'm going to be at Disney world. So if any of you are going to be there next week, by all means, let me know. We can uh, we can meet up, maybe grab a bite or go on uh, go on a ride, something of that uh, nature. But so yeah, Monday through Thursday next week, no pod. We'll be back on back in your feeds on Friday. We'll see if we have a media deal by then. 
Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But you can send me your questions in the meantime, and then I'll get to them later on the show. Michael Beckley says, hey, Spencer, I'm a UW dog fan, like my mother. Uh, going back to the 1960 Rose Bowl against Wisconsin, 44-8. to Oh, goodness gracious. That is diehard. Love it. I watch your show on YouTube regularly. Great stuff, man. Thank you. Wanted your take on the NIL impact on the Pac-12 schools. Nobody seems to want to bring it up. It's kind of like don't ask, don't tell. For instance, it looks like Michael Penix Jr. was given a nice chunk of cash to return to UW through, quote, Montlake Futures, the UW and NIL group for his senior year. NIL is one of the driving forces in Power 5 college football, as you know, so this impact would have to factor into the collective along with the media deal going forward and also for the survival of the Pac-12. Would like to hear your take. Keep up the great work, Spencer. Uh, first of all, thanks for supporting the show. Appreciate you. The NIL thing, I don't think it's changing the landscape as much as people kind of make it out to be. And my initial take on it, you go all the way back to to last year when things were changing and NIL was was legal and the transfer portal was starting to become a thing, you know, with the with the one-time freebie rule. My takeaway then is still my takeaway after one full season of college football. The transfer portal is far more impactful. It is changing things on a much, much greater scale than NIL, which is not to say NIL isn't a factor. But one thing that NIL has done has just kind of brought to the surface a lot of stuff that was happening under the table beforehand. And it's certainly exaggerated what has always been happening in college football, which is high-level recruits going to big-time schools have been getting a side amount of money. Like that's kind of the worst kept secret in college sports, right? Everybody knows that. When you're talking about big time college basketball recruits, football, like it's 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 always happened at some level. Now there's more and we know more about it. So I do think though that NIL can have a positive effect on the sport. There are a lot of negatives that I'm not a fan of. And, you know, the NCAA, per our usual arrangement, botched the rollout of of the whole thing and and whatnot. But I do think Michael Penix and Bo Nix at Oregon as well is a great example. And heck, maybe, maybe even Cam Ward at Washington State. Perhaps not as much, but it can have a strong effect in the sense that players who I think prior would have gone to the NFL and said, this is the only way that I can make money are now willing to say, well, if I can make, you know, probably not as much as I could if I went to the NFL, but if I can at least be making something, right? Just, you know, tens of thousands of dollars here or there, that is an enticement to come back to college again for another year. And I do believe that Michael Penix and Bo Nix both wanted to, who could have NFL potential for sure, both did want to come back, play with their teammates, go out there and win unfinished business because we saw that in 2022, right? I mean, Oregon was on the press. They were one quarter away from getting to the conference championship game. They were in a, the college football playoff hunt and they came up just short. That's a motivating factor for sure. Michael Penix at Washington flew under the radar, won a lot of games. They look back at that Arizona State game and say, wow, is that the difference between us being in the college football playoff mix, it was certainly the difference between them playing in and not playing in the Pac-12 championship game. So I think that's a driving factor as well. But 
how many times, you know, there, there's probably too many players to count where you'd say, boy, seems like he could come back for another year and we could be really good. And in the past, those guys seem to go to the NFL to higher clip. I don't have data to back that up. That's conjecture on my part. But Bo Nix and Michael Penix were playing at a high level. They're at high profile schools. They had phenomenal seasons. They won a lot of games. Their numbers were great. You could have pretty easily made the argument that either one was poised to make the jump to the NFL because his draft stock, both of their draft stocks were higher than they had ever been. But here we are going into 2023, and they're still there. And heck, you could even look at Cam Rising at Utah and say the same sort of thing. Now, I don't know what their NIL structure is. I imagine it's not in the same you know, category or on equal footing is a better way to put it as Oregon and Washington. But still, it's a way to entice players to want to come back. And I think that can have a positive effect. Now, the negative effect is for the schools in the conference who don't have the sort of collectives and the sort of available funds and alumni base and donors and all that, all that sort of stuff to be able to put together the money to be able to create a package to either keep a player at your school who might want to go to a bigger school or to get a certain recruit in the first place, right? Look at Jordan Addison going to USC, for instance. I don't know what the specific dollar figures are, but there have been some, I I think, fairly credible reports that he got a good chunk of money to go from Pitt to USC. Why would he go from Pitt to USC? Because USC can offer him more money over there. Now, USC was also a much better team than Pitt this year, but Jordan Addison was a part of that. And Pitt was certainly worse because they didn't have him there as an offensive weapon. And that's the downside is the smaller schools are really just always going to be at risk of not being able to put together an NIL package to keep a kid on campus and as a part of their program that they would like to. So it's really kind of just a continuation and, and perhaps accentuation of what we've always seen in college football, which is the best players want to go to the best schools. And the schools that have the most money are always going to have an advantage over the schools that don't have as much money. I mean, Omar Spates at Oregon State, great example. Really good player for Oregon State the last several years. Great linebacker, was part of a good team, a really good team, was part of a great defense at Oregon State last year. He's now playing at LSU. It's not as if Oregon State hasn't gotten guys drafted into the NFL before. So it's not like that was the only way he could have found himself playing in the league. But, 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 who's got a bigger NIL collective? Is it LSU or Oregon State? Don't think I have to answer that question for you. I think you probably know. So I, I think there, there, there are downsides there. But I think the upside you could argue is greater on, 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 for the conference as a whole. If you go program by program – you could say net negative, right? Your Oregon states, your Washington states, maybe. So, hmm, curious to see how it goes going forward. But like if San Diego State and SMU are on their way, they might start at a little bit more of a deficit. Though I don't think SMU um, as 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 much. But you know, it, it kind of depends. It depends on the school, depends on the program, depends on the alumni, and all that sort of stuff they may view it 
each individual school as more of a positive or negative. But overall for the Pac-12, I think the early returns are this is a positive because if you keep players like that around more consistently, that's ultimately what you need to do. You got to have as many good players in your conference as you can. And, and I think NIL can help them do that. But does it favor the schools that have got the most money available to them, whether it's you know via donations or alumni or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Like Oregon's probably you know, disregarding USC and UCLA because USC is probably number one. That's, again, speculative on my part, but think a fair assumption. I think they and Oregon are pretty clearly the top two. UCLA being in Los Angeles probably get a pretty good amount as well. But if you take out the LA schools, I think the the programs most poised to take advantage going forward, Oregon clearly number one. I don't know that that is – Washington might be close, but I mean – Oregon's probably clearly number one there. Curious to see what happens with Colorado. They haven't historically been a, a program that's got oodles and oodles of cash. I mean, their athletic director literally said when they hired Coach Prime that, yeah, well, we're going to find the money to pay him. It's like, wait, you don't you don't have it? Like, So I don't think they're historically super cash rich program the arizona schools i think they're doing better on that front you know kenny dillingham has made a point of emphasis for that down at arizona state but oregon washington those are kind of the top two and then i feel like there's a drop off but i I think recruiting wise i don't think you, you may see it impact an individual athlete here and there I don't think it's going to be radically shifting the recruiting landscape. I I really, really don't. I want to wrap up today with some Pac-12 basketball predictions. Now, Arizona and UCLA are the clear favorites going into the tournament next week on the men's side. And Stanford, of course, one of the favorites, probably the favorite along with Utah on the women's side, which is going on as we speak. So the question for the Pac-12, if they were to get a fifth team in, which would be fantastic by the way it looks like they're going to be able to get four i think they should be able to get four teams into the big dance arizona ucla easy usc should be there arizona state might have to do a play-in game but hey ucla did that once upon a time ran all the way to the final four i could see one of two teams winning the pac-12 tournament that are not currently or not otherwise frankly going to be in the field One is Utah, and one is Oregon. Now, I am more confident in Utah than Oregon by a landslide. I mean a big, big amount there. But the reason I put Oregon in that camp is because their roster is talented enough, but more importantly, they have a coach who we've all seen do a lot of damage in the Pac-12 tournament before. Do I trust the team and the way they've played this year? Almost not at all. But I think if you were going to pick a team to get hot, go on a run and be, you know, Oregon State of a couple of years ago or heck, even Oregon of uh, the 2018-19 team that got all the way to the Sweet 16, had to win the tournament to get in. Now, they had Peyton Pritchard and this team definitely does not. I think Oregon would be one of those teams. I would look for Oregon and Utah as my dark horse teams to win the tournament. But I, I just think Arizona and UCLA are better and I cannot see one of them not win. Like if I'm making a prediction here, most likely dark horse, I'll take Utah. Most likely team to win it, I will take UCLA. That's how I see it going down. I'll predict the Bruins to win it. 
because I think they're the best overall team. But it's March. Anything can happen. They're in the tournament no matter what. Other teams could bring more more urgency there. So I'd watch for the Utes and the Ducks. I'll be watching. Send your questions. I will be back here week from today. That being Friday, the what will that be? The 10th? Yeah, the 10th of March. That's when I'll be back in your feeds. Hit me up with your questions in the meantime. Can't wait. See you then. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.